of this crisis and it really it's a crisis of leadership that is now leading people away from God and here's what the point I want to make before we continue on in this journey together is that listen our culture right now is in crisis our culture by and large in this cultural moment does not believe in the true and living God and you have all of the influences going on in our culture to influence us to worship other things It seems like some seasons of life are filled with one crisis after another. The past months are no exception. Like many others, you may be wondering how to navigate these uncertain times. Today, Pastor Daniel begins a new series looking at the life of Elijah, a prophet God raised up during a time of great crisis. You'll see how God intervenes, helping his people by sending Elijah to point out their crisis of faith and their need for the Lord. Now here's Pastor Daniel in 1 Kings chapter 16 as he begins his message, God Works. So whether we like it or not, times of crisis is part of being human. Nobody ever looks forward to a crisis, but when they happen, you know that you're in it. I mean, think about it. A crisis is a time of tremendous hardship, tremendous difficulty, when there are this tough decisions that need to be made, right? But what's amazing is, is that although times of crisis are not something that we ever really want to experience, when we do experience them, it reveals so much to us. It reveals to us not only who we are and how we handle crisis or how we figure out how to trust God in the midst of crisis, but it also reveals to us the very character of God. In almost every circumstance in the Bible that you find, there is a time of crisis where we need God to do something miraculous. I always like to remind people that if that if if you are in need of a miracle, if you're in crisis, you're, you're a prime candidate for God to do something miraculous. And so there's no doubt we've been living in times of crisis, whether it's a, a pandemic crisis or an economic crisis, whether there's crises within our families, within our communities. Sometimes there are crises that are geopolitical, that span nations and times. But what I want you to know is that times of crisis is often the context in which God brings about his perfect work. And I believe that at all times of crisis, we should be looking beyond the crisis and looking towards Jesus and saying, Jesus, how do you want to work in the midst of this? So today we're going to be opening up a brand new series. I was thinking about all that's going on in our world and all that's happening and the, and the crises of the current time. And I thought to myself, you know, the life of the prophet Elijah has a lot to say to this moment. Because Elijah spoke into a time of great crisis. You don't believe me? 
Well, let's just get into the scriptures. Open up your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 16. We'll start at verse 29. We'll make our way into 1 Kings 17. So if you've never found the book of 1 Kings before, it's kind of easy to find. It's it's towards the beginning of your Bible in what we call the Old Testament. And it's in between uh, 2 Samuel and then, of course, 2 Kings. And so if you remember, we have 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings. Really, 1 and 2 Samuel tells the story of the prophet Samuel, King Saul, and then into the life of King David. And then when you get into First and Second Kings, it begins with the story of David's son Solomon. And then we see the progression of what goes on after uh, the death of Solomon as the kingdoms divide. And so we're picking up here in First Kings chapter 16. And it says this in verse 29. It says, in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Now, Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshiped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which had been built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings who were before him. And in the days of Hiel of Bethel built Jericho, he laid its foundation with Ibram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Segub, he set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. Now, we jump right in here, and really what we learn first off is that God works in context. God works in a context. And really, verses 29 to 34, it gives us the context that sets up the, the ministry of what is going on in the life of the children of Israel, and also uh, why God raises up this prophet, this famous prophet who we know of as Elijah. And really, everything that's going on in this context, really none of it is good. Now, it says that in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel. Now, right there, you have to realize that the 12 tribes of Israel who, who entered into the promised land split because Solomon's son, Rehoboam, didn't take wise counsel, but took the foolish counsel of his young friends. And sure enough, the 10 northern tribes left Israel and created the northern kingdom, which they call Israel. And then Rehoboam kept the two southern tribes of uh, Judah and Benjamin. And so you have this split 10 tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. And so in the 38th year of King Asa, Asa was a pretty godly king and there was some revival going on in Judah. But when this happens, this man named Ahab, the son of Omri, becomes king over Israel. And it says that he reigned over Israel for 22 years in Samaria. So in, in the southern two tribes where Asa was reigning, Jerusalem was the capital. But in the 10 northern tribes, this place called Samaria, that was the capital city. And Ahab ends up reigning there for 22 years. So he's got a a long reign. But notice what it says in verse 30. It says, 
Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Wow. So this context where God is going to shine some light into, they have a king who has done more evil than every king who was before him. So Ahab was a horrendous king. He was the worst one in all the kings that they had had. And if you were to read through, you know, all of what had been going on in first Kings, Ahab takes the cake. He's the guy who's the worst of the worst of the worst, right? It's kind of like when you think about your, your favorite sports team and when your favorite sports team goes through hard times, right? And they have a string of coaches because all the coaches are bad, but then there's that one coach who was so bad. I, remember, I think about this because growing up outside of New York, we rooted for all the New York sports team. And there's, no, there's numerous teams. I'll never forget it because growing up, my father was, was a big Jets fan, New York Jets fan. And, and in the 80s, uh, my dad really didn't like one of their coaches. The coach's name was Joe Walton. And I'll never forget it because my dad so despised this coach. He's like, this, out of all the coaches the Jets have, this guy's the worst. And I'll never forget it because my dad said, Joe Walton was in a contract year. And my dad said, if Joe Walton gets rehired, I'm never going to root for the Jets again. And that's a tough thing for like a very hardcore diehard fan. But sure enough, Joe Walton got a contract renewal. And my father stopped rooting for the Jets still to this day. And he only roots for the New York Giants now. So he came around to the, the better side, the Giants side. This is who I root for. But, it, but it, it reminds me of like, you know, Ahab, he was the worst in the whole string of the kings. Now, the Bible isn't just wanting to tell us that Ahab was bad. He wants to explain to us why Ahab was bad. Now, look at what it says about what he had done. Verse 31. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabak, that he took Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and he served Baal, and he worshipped him. So the first thing that Ahab did wrong was he continued to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. Now, remember, Jeroboam took those 10 northern tribes, but what Jeroboam did is he did not want the children of Israel to go down to Jerusalem to worship because he knew that that would soften or weaken his, his reign. So he set up a place of worship there in Samaria and he put idols in there. He put golden gaths in there for them to worship. And so automatically he begins, Jeroboam begins leading them in, in idolatry, something that would offend God. And sure enough, Ahab not only does that, but then it says that Ahab marries this woman named Jezebel, who is the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of the Sidonians. And, and so, you know, Jezebel obviously is not a, a godly woman. She doesn't come from a godly family. And, you know, it's, it's amazing because sometimes, you know, we live in a day and age now where people want to push against some of the biblical narrative. You know, some people see Jezebel as this amazing woman. Now, I, I don't blame Jezebel. Her father is, you know, Ethbal. He was not a godly man. He did not raise a godly woman. And really what we find is that Jezebel was not properly raised. And ultimately Jezebel walked in the sins that her family taught her. And in a lot of ways, she promoted that within the children of Israel. And we're going to see as we look at the whole story in this series, how Jezebel is a very aggressive, angry, violent woman. And ultimately, she is being used to subvert God's plans within the midst of his people. 
Now, here's the thing. I wanted to bring up the fact, because I, you know, I don't want to give Jezebel like, you know, that was all oh, the Bible's against women and Jezebel. No, no, listen. Jezebel made her own decisions. She could have very easily turned to the true and living God. But no, her and Ahab get married. There's a political alliance that gets made. And sure enough, Ahab begins worshiping Baal. He sets up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which was been in Samaria. And then it says, and Ahab made a wooden image, verse 33. And that word wooden image literally is an Asherah, which was the female deity counterpart to Baal, right? And as he does that, he's provoking God to anger because if at the very basic level, the Ten Commandments tells us that there is only one God and that God cares how we worship him. So everything that Ahab is doing is going against the very foundation of God's plan for his people, right? And so Baal now is setting up this worship of Baal, setting up this wooden image of Sisharah. And then to make matters worse, in verse 34, we learn that in the days of Ahab, that Ahiel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid the foundations. So in all these different ways, we see the context of this crisis. And it really, it's a crisis of leadership that is now leading people away from God. And here's what the point I want to make before we continue on in this journey together is that, listen, our culture right now is in crisis. Our culture, by and large, in this cultural moment, does not believe in the true and living God. And you have all of the influences going on in our culture to influence us to worship other things. See, and here's what I want you to know. Every single one of us worships. It's just a matter of who we worship and why we worship them. And our souls will be diminished. Our hearts will be diminished if we are not worshiping the true and living God. See, the reason God is a jealous God, jealous for our hearts, because he knows if we worship something other than or someone other than him, the creator and sustainer of all things, the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who sent Jesus to die on a cross for us. If we worship anything else, it diminishes who we are. The image of God that we bear as humanity gets lessened by the objects of our worship. All of us will be shaped into whatever we worship. So listen, I want to encourage you because even though the unique circumstances of what's going on here, some was 800 years before Jesus because Ahab reigned 874 to 853 BC. So almost 900 years before Jesus. Although the context, the moment is different. A lot of the same things are going on today. All of the pressure, the influence, you know, in a social media world where people talk about God, they get shamed. Celebrities put their faith and trust in Jesus and want to sing songs about Jesus and they get shamed by culture. See, we have all of the same influences going on and the Bible teaches that as the leadership goes and as the influence goes, that's the way a society goes. So I want to encourage you, listen, we want to be a part of a pure rebellion against this anti-God sentiment. I call it a rebellion because we're going against the grain. We're living subversively in the midst of it, but it's a pure rebellion because it's not about taking up guns and killing people. It's about us putting our eyes on Jesus, following the true and living God, no matter what anybody says. Because listen, God works in a context. And in the midst of all of this, this is a crisis for the children of Israel. Now, look at what happens. First Kings chapter 17, verse one, it says this. And Elijah, the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, 
said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be no dew nor rain these years except at my word. Now, guess what? God also works through people. So in the midst of this context, this crisis, God raises up a person. And in our case here, this person is simply Elijah the Tishbite. So, so Elijah's name literally means Yahweh is my God. And he, and he lives in this community called Tishbe, which is in, is in the Gilead, which is on the east side of the Jordan River. And God gave Elijah a mission. So Elijah got on up whatever God told him. He heard God's promise. He walked to the west of Samaria. He busted on into the palace, however he pulled that off. And he hurled an ultimatum at this evil king. Look at what he says. As the Lord God of Israel lives. Now, I love this so much because what Elijah does is he grounds what he's going to say in the personality of God. The Lord God of Israel. He's saying, look, you're the king of Israel, but guess what? You are not worshiping the God of Israel, but I know the Lord God of Israel, not the God who you're worshiping, right? As the Lord God of Israel lives, and he says, before whom I stand. Now, my friends, I love this, and I don't want to miss this. Do you realize before whom you stand every day? Do you realize that every single moment of all of our lives, we stand before the Lord God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sustainer of all things. There's nothing that we do that's private. There's not like you you can delete your browsing history, but what you've done is known. And I don't say that it's it's not a scare tactic. You know, I've heard it once said this way, that God loves us so much. He can't take, take his eyes off of us. See, God is, we, in God, we live and move and have our being. And each one of us, you live your life before God. And I realize that when you think about that, that's kind of a terrifying thing because some things you do, you're like, man, I hope nobody knows that I did that. And that is why when we realize that we live before a perfect and holy God, that's why it is so important that we receive Jesus, that we put our faith and trust in Jesus because in the light of God's perfections, our imperfections are so clear. Like when you realize that there's nothing, there's nothing I have ever done that God hasn't seen. I often joke with my kids. We live in a social media age. And I always say, you know, because I didn't grow up following Jesus. I always say, I am so grateful there was no social media when I was growing up. I'm so grateful that everyone didn't have like a, a camera that could take pictures or videos or audio when I was growing up. Because I could only imagine, and actually I don't even want to imagine all the stuff that would be about me online, all the dumb things that I did that there's videos of and my friends put on social media. And I'm so grateful, but I'm also reminded that that might protect my reputation a little bit, but the God who created and sustains me, he knows all that stuff. And yet he still sent Jesus to die on a cross for my sins. Actually, God loved me enough to send Jesus to die on a cross for all those mistakes that I made. So listen, all of us need to realize before whom we live, there's nothing that happens that's private. There's no such, you know, like maybe other humans might not know. But listen, the God of all creation, before who lives, before whom we stand, he sees everything. And then notice what he says. He says, there shall 
not be due nor rain these years except at my word. So Elijah comes and Elijah declares a drought. Now you might be saying, oh, like, so, okay, so no rain. Like we live in the Pacific Northwest here at Crossroads. Like that sounds great. I could do, I could do, listen, in that culture, that was declaring total catastrophe. This was long before Costco, long before, you know, you can get food delivered to your house, long before there was freezers and all these things. When there was no rain, they lived in an arid climate. There was no food. And once that drought took hold, people died in mass. And Elijah is declaring the very curses that God said would happen if the children of Israel stopped following him. If you don't believe me, you can go back and read Deuteronomy chapter 11, Deuteronomy chapter 28, Leviticus chapter 16, and all these different places, God said, if you do not honor me, I will withhold my blessings from you. And the rain for them was a blessing. Now, James in the New Testament talks about this. This is what James says. This is James chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. James 5, 16 to 18 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of the righteous avails much. And then it says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So it's beautiful that James links up this very story because Elijah said, listen, as the Lord lives, there will be no rain or no dew at all unless, of course, except at my word. So it's on me. And then James picks up and reminds that we should confess our sins to one another and we can pray for one another so that we can be healed. Because the effective, fervent prayer of the righteous avails much. And then says, just like Elijah. Elijah was just like us. But Elijah prayed fervently that it wouldn't rain and it didn't. Then Elijah prayed that it would rain and it did. And we're going to see that in this series. So it's important to realize that Elijah, in his prayer life, linking up hands with God. I always tell people that prayer is not me getting my will done in heaven Prayer is linking up hands with God to get his will done on earth. And Elijah is doing that. And, and we need to be able to pray with one another. We need to be able to talk with one another. And I love it, it says that we should confess our sins to one another. This is why we so much want all of the Crossroads family and all of you to be in, in a community group, right? Because there's something about being able to say, listen, I'm really struggling. My marriage is struggling. This is a habit that has developed and it's wrong. And then you confess and then you pray for one another that you may be healed because it's the effective, fervent prayer of the righteous. It's Jesus's righteousness that we're clothed in as we pray for one another that brings us healing. Because God uses people and they're people who walk through life with you. And the same thing is going on here with, with Elijah. God chooses to raise up Elijah in the midst of this crisis. And I don't know about you, I want God to raise up infinite numbers of Elijah's in this generation. Jesus is real. Prayer is a way you can communicate with God, right? 
yes, but it's so much more than that. Today, Pastor Daniel shared that prayer is us linking hands with God to get His will done on earth. You were encouraged to invest in a group of people where you can share your struggles and pray for one another, where you can build each other up and support one another. As you'll see in the life of Elijah, God will use your prayers to bring change and do some amazing things. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore his people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus is Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will look at how God wants to use people to impact the world in times of crisis. Just like God raised up Elijah, you'll see that he wants to use you to make a difference in the lives of the people in your circle. When you walk in step with Jesus, you'll get to be a part of the work he's going to bring to change and transform the world. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Crisis. Until then, may God bless. God bless.